0: You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, yours and theirs, a show that discusses internal and relational anxiety, how it blocks effective leadership, and how we can move through it to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Cuss. Welcome to episode 10 of season one. Today's guest is Ron Edmondson. I was really excited to grab Ron for the interview. He has such a wealth of leadership experience. He's currently the CEO of Leadership Network, which is also the organization that's publishing my upcoming book. But previous to that, he served as a pastor in several church settings, both church planting context, but also church turnaround and revitalization contexts. Ron, for years, kept a really active blog on leadership. It was one of my go-to blogs when I was wanting to learn more about leadership. And uh, even before Ron was a pastor, he ran a business. He's had a lot of experience in the corporate and marketplace world, as well as the church and the nonprofit world. And now as the CEO of Leadership Network, one of my favorite leadership organizations, I was thrilled to be able to sit down with Ron and talk about some of his own leadership challenges, some of his own leadership lessons, and of course, run him through my gauntlet of questions on leadership anxiety. So Ron, thanks so much for joining us today. I'd like to just hear how you got started in leadership. Well, it was
1: really by default. Mostly, I I started uh, leading in high school. I was very involved in student government, uh, pretty much throughout my, my. As soon as it was allowed in school, I was doing something in student government, and served as student body president. But I went to work as a um, in a retail department store. I'd been working in grocery stores. I went to work for a department store when I was eighteen, starting college, and I was there. Uh, just about six months and had started uh and turned 19 and uh, leading i was in a department of the men's department men's suits department and the the guy who was leading the department quit and uh, with the- hired a lot of college students because it was a college town i was actually um uh, I guess they probably asked several others, and I was the lone one. So they said, hey, do you want to run this department? And by default, I became a, a department manager and leading a staff of about five or six people, sometimes as many as 10, depending on the, the season. And uh, so suddenly I'm a leader. And it just uh, probably not one of their wisest decisions, but, uh, but that's, that's where, where I landed. And so, um, yeah, that's how I became a leader the first time. It's funny, a uh, funny story. I just transitioned as we record this a couple of months as uh from pastorate to to leadership network and um when I told my mom, she said, "I am so excited. She said, I've always been praying and wanted you to be a real leader." And I said, "Mom, what do you mean?" I'm like I've been a pastor for 16 years, you know, ran my own businesses. She said, no, but I mean like a real leader. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, this is a leadership place. So you get to really lead this time. I'm like, I've kind of been leading. No, I mean like, a. so I just gave up. It was a, <laughs> no convincing her that I'd never led anything before.
0: Yeah. How old's your mom?
1: Uh, 80, 82 or so.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, and you share a story at 19. It seems like that's a a common journey for leaders. They kind of fall into it. Uh, My take is that a lot of younger leaders look at seasoned leaders like yourself and think that you suddenly or somehow you grow out of not knowing what to do, but you are in a brand new role. Would you mind sharing what it's like as a seasoned leader to be in a new environment and figuring things out? Well, I'm, I've been here many times in my career, uh, including as that
1: nineteen-year-old. But I, I, I and I feel much the same emotions as I did then. I really don't know what to do. You know, yeah. where I focus my attention, uh, who am I listening to? Who are the right voices? Hey, it's 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 somewhat overwhelming. You know, we um, our uh, organization, including not just staff and but key. Key players, you know, people who have been in our programs. Uh, there are a lot of people who have more information about the organization than I do. Good, and yeah. and so it, it's somewhat, and some of that's good because I'm coming in with some pretty pretty fresh eyes, and yet some of it's just overwhelming. Knowing, hey, what do you think I should do? I have to ask that question a lot because in the early days, I don't want to mess it all up, you know. Yeah. Um, but knowing that we need to bring some changes as well, and so. Uh, it's just a pretty overwhelming feeling uh, right now. And, yeah. Uh, I, I, I told one of our board members recently I've gone from overwhelmingly discouraged to overwhelmingly dis- excited. And so that's a good <laughs> thing. You know, I'm still overwhelmed, but I'm excited about the future.
0: Yeah. How long would you say, as you move into a new organization, what kind of timeline do you give yourself to get your shoulders under it?
1: You know, that is a, uh, and again, i faced that many times. I, I think um, the expectations of others is usually much shorter than the realistic expectations should be. Uh-huh. And so, one of my desires is to slow down the, the expectation process. Uh, you know, this is a, an organization does need to go through some changes, and, and everybody knows that, including. You know, the former CEO that was here before, everybody understands that. What they are, we really need to take as long as we can, recognizing we can't take forever. So we've got to move quickly, and I get that. But the fastest decisions we make or the decisions we make in immediacy or panic are seldom the best decisions. And so if we can slow the process down, hey, let's not look at this as a – I mean, I sat with somebody – Again, as we take this, we're 60 days in. I sat with somebody a couple of weeks ago and they said, so what's your plan? Where are you going to be in five years? I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, I haven't even looked at my calendar for tomorrow, so I don't know where I'm going to be yeah. tomorrow. Um, and and the, the more you can slow that down to where we're not looking six months out. I mean, we're, we're thinking this is 18 months. This is two years because this is a 35-year-old organization, 30 or 35-year-old organization, depending on when you start counting that we started to work, but it, it, um, and it's taken a long time, 30 something years to get where we are, uh, to figure out a new direction. There's, it would would just be arrogant of me and really probably dumb of me to think I'm going to figure that out in a few months. And so just the longer I can slow the process, the better, the more successful I think we'll be
0: Okay and you're so you're describing external pressure or external expectation could you speak to internal what what goes on in you under the surface when you take a new leadership role what are some of the things you worry about or or wonder
1: well i try to get
0: to the the biggest
1: what is the biggest problem that we're facing you know um I love the SWOT analysis, strength, weakness, opportunities, threats. I love that analysis, and we've been doing one. And the opportunities is where I love to live. I love to live in what could we do, what's our next. I, I love to have big ideas and dream and all those sort of things. But I think coming into an organization, especially an organization that needs some, some uh, tweaking, some, some revitalization, you know, came out of church revitalization, I think first you have to figure out where's the back door? Where's the, where's what's, what's keeping you? What, where are the biggest threats right now? And, um, and so that's what keeps me awake at night in in the early days is just how are we going to stop the drain? And I use the phrase here to get back to zero so that we're moving, we know we're stable. And then when, then we can begin to have fun again and begin to build. So internally, I'm just like, how are we going to, how are we going to, how are we going to stabilize? How are we going to just know we've got every, you know,
0: we're, we're level ground again and begin, can okay. begin to rebuild. And this show focuses particularly on leadership anxiety. So we spent time looking at mm-hmm. the internal triggers of an individual leader, but we also like to look at how anxiety shows up in groups so would you be willing to share, like, where does anxiety first show up in you? Is it in your mind? Like, so for example, it would be either a racing mind, a spinning heart, or a tightening gut. Mm-hmm. For me, it would be a spinning mind probably. You know, I'm very
1: capable of worst case scenarios of, of uh, you know, what happens if, or what are they thinking, or what, how am I going to say this for them that, you know, that connects? And what if I say the wrong thing? I'm kind of having that ex- anxiety right now as we do this podcast, who's going to listen? And Are they talking about me? And are they, you know, and so uh, yeah, the, uh, the spinning mind is probably where I would go first. Um, I mean, all of those are a part of that, um, uh, you know, the heart races and, and the tightening gut, but it's
0: the spinning mind for me. Starts in the mind. Yeah, okay. Would you mind saying a little more? That was funny when you mentioned that you have a proclivity for worst-case scenario. Could you give us an example of that? Yeah, and I think we all do
1: that. You know, um, we, we always, we, we, an example would be, and I won't use the, an example here. I will use the example when I got to the church that we revitalized there was a, just a lot of struggles financially. The church was, was split on, on on a few issues. Uh, just a lot of turmoil had had tremendous decline in a very short period of time. And so people were panicking. And again, as we talked about earlier, expecting, you know, the new guys here, everything's going to turn around tomorrow. Okay. And uh, but so there was a lot of false expectations immediately. And... Um, it was kind of a passive-aggressive aggressive culture also. And so every time my finance chairman or deacon chairman or somebody would would text me and say, hey, can you call me real quick? I was like, oh, man. So then I'm about to get fired. This is, you know, everybody's mad, you know, whatever. And it was a lot of times, hey, I had two tickets to the ballgame this weekend, wondered if you want them. You know, I mean, and, and so... It's just that um, uh, our mind goes to what to the negative sometimes first, and it's there's nothing negative at all. And getting to the point where you you develop trust in that person, hey, they've had my best interest at stake. There wouldn't be, you know. It, but you're we always, we always do that. I mean, we just do. I, I always said as I always said as a pastor when I was preaching on worry, worry is like a plague. It just it attacks. Uh, it attaches it. One worry attaches itself to another. And pretty soon you just, you're overwhelmed with worry. And it started with one little thing that it started with an unknown most of the time or something you can't figure out. And, uh, we just allow it to get out of control.
0: Yeah. You're describing that you'd be given like a neutral message, like call me, but in your mind you would connect all the dots. Uh, right. uh Jeannie duck, I think it is the organizational leadership coach. She says, uh, in the absence of information, people connect the dots in the most pathological way possible.
1: Yeah, that's right. I just always said, I always said to leaders when I was talking to them, if people don't know, they make up their own story and it's Ah, never a good
0: story. Yeah, the story you tell yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ron, how do you know when you're anxious?
1: Uh, That's a good question. How do I know when I'm anxious? I I think um, when I'm less rational. Um, when I, when I am, um, um, thinking, you know, going when my mind is spinning out of control or when, you know, when I am, uh, heart racing type thing, I, I can, I can feel it. it. It is a physiological thing that happens in, in my body that I can recognize when I just need to, to calm down here. Um, now all, saying all that, uh, you know, I'm 54. I figured out a lot of, of these and triggers in my own life. And so if I'm get, if I'm starting to feel whatever the feeling is, um, I, I'm pretty self-disciplined to step away and and kind of recalibrate. Uh, my favorite thing to do is is to I keep a gym bag with me all the time and I know where the closest gym is. And so I'm I'm very uh, quick to, I'm going to jump on the elliptical a little while. I'm going to turn on some music. I'm going to chill for a little while. And obviously prayer, and I can give you all the spiritual answers too. But those, those um, uh, physical warnings, I think we just have to kind of learn them on our own, and everybody reacts differently uh, to stress. But um, I, over the years, it's become pretty quick. So I don't live in that anxious world for long. Now there are times where, um, I mean, I had this not just recently where I had some couple of very tense days and I knew they were going to be tense going in just because of the meetings I had. And again, it was kind of back to everybody looking for answers. And I didn't have any and trying to, you know, trying to, um, get them to, okay, let's just, let's just wait just a minute. But I knew going into that, it was going to be that way. And so I was pretty anxious for two days, but I knew coming out of that, Hey, I'm going to take some time, and I won't be as anxious. So sometimes for me, I have to look down the road a little bit, and and know there's a clearing coming where I'm able to re, you know, to to just kind of get less anxious again.
0: Uh, I'd like to ask something. Like you, you're kind of unique, I think, Ron, in that. Um, you seem to be aware of the external pressure of needing an answer, but you seem to be at peace that you don't have one all the time. I think a younger leader often feels the pressure to know what to oh, do. Yeah. Could you yeah. speak more to that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, um, you know, back when when I started that first leadership position at nineteen, um, well, let me I'll share another example, uh, probably a, a more recent example of when I was actually. Um, leading in a larger way. I was in the, the business um, world for longer than I've been in the ministry world. And I had a, a, we owned a small manufacturing company and it was one of those seasons. We owned a couple of different businesses and, and very successful and then very uh, unsuccessful. Just It was just a bad season. And um, in one of those really hard seasons, and, and only small business owners understand this, uh, this, or some pastors do too, the pressure of—the um, uh, pastor feels the pressure of Sunday's coming and hoping that the offering's good and all that sort of stuff. Um, but the, uh, for the business owner, the pressure of, um, uh, of the payroll— you know, sun, uh, the the payroll's coming, and every payday you got to have enough money in the bank to make payroll, and that's just a constant stress. Uh, I like organizations that get paid every two weeks; it gives you two weeks to prepare or a month. You know, we get paid we got paid every week, and so every Monday morning, uh, I was con- I was having to worry make sure we we made payroll, and thankfully we did. But during that season, uh, I was um, my banker was the one who. Um, I avoided the most because I knew I had to have the money in there for them so I would literally um, I would literally I had to call him uh, go through a season again small business owners understand this this scenario but I had to call my banker every single day and tell him where we were on cash flow and so I got in a habit of dropping our son off at, at school and hoping he wasn't running behind so that he would get out the door, I could jump on the phone, call my banker, and hit him five minutes before he hit the door, his desk, and leave him a voicemail so I didn't have to talk to him <laughs> and tell him and tell him where I was. Yeah. And and that went on for months. And it was just miserable. That was the most miserable time of my day. And then I would, I would uh, I'd feel, you know, this release of anxiety, wow, that phone call's yeah. over. And every now and then he'd get to the work early. Yeah. You know, he's an answer, oh man. <laughs> But well, what I realized after that, and this, is te- this took me years to understand, is if I had made him my friend rather than my enemy, we could have gotten through it together. And a lot of young leaders, I think, assume everybody's expecting you to be all things yeah. to all people. But if they're old enough to understand, you don't even know what you're doing yeah. some days. You know? Just admit that. Say, like, I don't know what I'm yeah. doing today. If I'd ever pick up the phone and called my banker and said, Hey, look, here's where we're at. It's not good. And honestly, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Do you have any suggestions yeah. for me? Um, it would have it would have made my life in that season so much easier and so much less anxious.
0: Yeah, you're me. you're describing I think what can feel counterintuitive to people that if you're anxious about something, sometimes the way to de escalate it is to move toward it rather than avoid it mm. Wow yeah yeah that's that's, right. that's really that's good
1: right. and that this is not that yeah absolutely not
0: how we're working. yeah right yeah we naturally want to avoid or blame or hide but yeah it doing the doing the opposite step actually makes it better huh right okay yeah so you have quite like I think people who know you are aware that you've had quite a breadth of experience in leadership church government business nonprofit Um. It seems like you just touched on two kinds of anxiety or two kinds of pressures. You've got the chronic that like you mentioned for a preacher, it's Sunday for a small business owner, it's Monday payroll, but then you've got the acute Mm. where, uh, for example, just yesterday we have in our church a Thursday night service and half an hour before the service started, I got a text from the wife of a very, very dear friend that he had died. And I knew that was coming. Like he he had been diagnosed and I'd been with him, but like 30 minutes after I get that text, I now have to get up and preach and lead. That would, that would be a, wow. an acute you know, situation. Sure. Does that trigger anything for you, Ron, the, the, the chronic kind of weighing down and then the acute hit and how you manage them or how you would say a leader could you know, is that generate a story for you?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I think uh, a couple of thoughts there, um, and I think'll I'll get to what you're asking. but the, the, as far as the uh, the chronic and you, you just know it's coming all the time, it, the more that requires um, that requires a lot of, of um, uh, planning and making sure you know why who you are and why you're doing what you're doing and, and strategy ops and all those sort of things that we talk about as leaders, the more prepared you are, for, uh, and that's very difficult in the early days, as we talked about earlier, but if if I get somewhat of a plan, this is where we're going, and I can work the plan and get buy-in from everybody that this is where we're going, and be transparent in the struggles and invite people in, then that chronic becomes a little easier to do. For example, we talk about the Sundays always coming yeah. and, and the message preparation. The more disciplined I was with my schedule, helping everybody understand, look... My biggest job this week is to get a message ready for Sunday. So if I'm, I had to warn my wife, for example, she and she learned this over, the, we were 16 years as a pastor, yeah. that on Wednesday, I'm not as in, in as good a mood as I am the rest of the <laughs> yeah. week. Because that was my study day. That was the day that I had to get the message to a point where I knew it was going forward. And every week, and this is one of those you don't understand until yeah. you've done it either, as a pastor, but every message, Act, absolutely stinks before yes. it's good, you know? And, and so you, you're in that low point on Wednesday where I don't even know if I have a message yes. this week. And then suddenly God begins to do something and you have a message, but the more disciplined I am for my entire week and the more, more s- schedule I build around it. And again, bringing people into it, the more I can handle those uh-huh. chronic, it could come in uh-huh. every week. So just, just be prepared for it for the, for the, uh, acute, the one that happens suddenly, um, I think the discipline for me there is is um, some you just have to push through it as we talked to earlier, but then some is just, I think it goes back to how healthy you are as a person to where you're able when that sudden comes to me- immediately discipline yourself to just stop back, say, okay, we'll we'll segment this portion of our day We'll deal with this when this is the immediate, so we'll deal with it now. And then knowing on the other side of that, okay, it's not always going to be like this. And th- and that's just, you know, it takes years of practice to be able to do that. Uh, but we see Jesus doing that all the time. Interruptions didn't um, throw him off his ultimate yeah. end game. Uh, they just allowed an opportunity that God brought to, do, to, to experience something, you know, you wouldn't experience all the time, but... But sometimes it's a great experience. And um, so managing those highs and lows that come quickly, and I think are are absolutely a part of an overall um, process of, of, uh, I don't even know if that's making sense, but an overall process of of developing yourself so that you can you can navigate those. No, I think, those I think
0: what you're saying makes great sense, particularly for chronic pressures when you know they're coming, your, your idea of applying organizational leadership to manage the chronic, that makes sense. Like, you know the sermon's coming, you might as well figure out a way to get on top of it rather than it managing you. Yeah, so, that's right. So particularly for a type A leader or somebody who's very driven by productivity, I think a common struggle, if we could talk particularly to church leaders for a while, um, I think a common struggle of a church leader is we can tend to relate to God more as God's employee than as God's child. Did you ever wrestle with that when you were a pastor?
1: Uh, certainly in that weekly grind, sometimes you start to feel that way. Um, you know, uh, it, to use just as an example, putting a message together, the more it becomes mechanical rather than relational, um, it, the more I, okay, I, I'm got to crank out this message. I, I got to get this sermon written. I've got to whatever, um, then, okay, I'm working for God and my job is, I, show up Sunday and give a great message that everybody, you know, can tweet about and all that sort of stuff. The, the more I, and, and, and I'm saying this since I probably acted more like the employee than I did the child many, many times, but the best messages were when out of a relationship with God during the week came out of the overflow of my heart, a message. And so uh, definitely, the more I could just sit with God and be with God, which again is counterintuitive, because the me- the message has to be done, and so Wednesday's the day to do it. And then, so if I if I don't have it at a at least at a presentable point on Wednesday, and then I would keep tweaking it Thursday, Friday, you know, even uh, Sunday mornings many times. If I didn't keep doing that, um, I mean, if I didn't sense on Wednesday that it was there, I was just in panic. And yet, again, sitting with God and uh, saying, God, I don't have anything, I'm your child, I don't have anything that really meaningful, I want to hear from you, you know, and waiting for God to speak. And sometimes that didn't come till Sunday morning. But those were always yeah. the best messages. Okay, every yeah. Single time.
0: Well, I'd like to shift our focus to relational anxiety. So not just focusing on what's going on under the surface of an individual, but where you notice it happening in groups. The theory is quite simple that anxiety is contagious like a cold. Everyone catches it. Where have you seen that when you've stepped into a group and one of the members is highly anxious? And it would typically wouldn't be about their personal life, it might be about change or something in the organization. Where? Well, anytime there's there's change in
1: the organization, you're going to have some anxiousness. You know, some people respond to change better than others. Everybody responds to change with an emotion. It doesn't matter, uh, I mean, everybody does. Could be excitement, um, but they're gonna have an emotional response to change. And in my experience, uh, especially in more established churches, the the response is more negative than it is positive, just because we've never done this before, you know. Um, and, and you don't know what the outcome is. It's that unknown again. I don't know what's on the other side of this of this change. Um, so certainly that is, is, um, anytime you bring change, you're gonna, you're gonna get some anxiety in the room. Um, the illustration that comes to mind most from, from a group perspective were a few times we, we've been blessed in church planting and in church revitalization with tremendous growth. I mean, in both seasons and, um, I recall some, a couple of times in the church uh, that, we, that we revitalized where we'd had just everything was going well uh, after the first couple of years at least, and everything was going well and things were, we were growing and numbers were going up and everybody's excited and you know, you celebrate and you're high-fiving on Sunday. But then every church and every organization goes through, plat- goes through seasons. And so you would have these seasons of plateau and it, it always seemed to me those were the times our staff and maybe some of our key volunteers were the most anxious. It was like, okay, what are we doing wrong now? Everything's falling apart. This is, we're going to, you know, we're going to go backwards again. We're not going to go in. And, um, it, it was because things were not like they were, you know, they were not like they used to be. And so there would be this tension even walking down the hall, you'd sense this tension. Um, and, uh, and I would recognize the need to uh, that was a season that I would recognize the need to recast vision again, help people uh, okay, understand this is a season. This is maybe we need to reorganize some things, re- re-energize some things, re-engineer some things. But this is just a season. This doesn't have to be where we land. And uh, I had to be and I think it's one of the jobs of the leader, the sense of calm in the room and and the sense of 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 stability and direction and, 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 vision, you know, all those sort of things. I had to be that. If I was, uh, and, and I had my own anxiety, we've talked about those. And I usually was anxious myself of, uh, that, that's where I have to deal with it with God and, and directly and say, God, are we okay here? And am I, is I am I missing something? And is it something in me and I had to do all that, but for the appearance of the group of the, of our staff, of the larger group, especially the church I had to be the the sense of
0: calm if I was yeah, panicking they were would you're saying panicking. that and like so I, appearing calm it's almost like a duck right like you're paddling under the surface you're not you're not faking it you're not pretending mm-hmm. to be calm but you're de-escalating people's anxiety by managing your own that's right yeah that's exactly right and yeah and I think the the
1: the, fi- the danger there would be if I had no one I was crying out to you know, yes, obviously to yeah. God, crying out to God. But if there was no one, if I'm doing this all alone, then I'm going to eventually burn out. I'm going to get, um, you know, overly anxious. Uh, so I had to have some people that, uh, and I always try to surround myself with people that, you know, that can speak into my life and people who have more experience than me. If I could say to them, look, I just need to know, I'm, I'm appearing I'm a calm in this, but I'm anxious yeah. myself. What do you yeah. think? And allow them to de escalate me. Yeah. Um, If I didn't do that, then I would fall apart. But for, you know, for the masses and even for the even for the staff that you lead, I had to be a sense of calm for them and a a sense of, of, hey, this is going to be okay.
0: Yeah. Is there ever a situation where maybe some of your staff or some of your senior leaders? That the best approach is actually to confess your anxiety to them, or is that? Oh, sure. No, I
1: think they're. Yeah, I think being vulnerable and and transparent with your staff is 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 key and critical. I mean, uh, but you do it strategically. In other words, you don't just every day you're crying in front of them. (laughs) Okay, yeah, you don't dump on them. Right. You you have a you have a somewhat of a sense of look. I'm anxious too, but this. Okay and and to where you can um you can give them a, a it's you plan the talk, so to speak, yeah. you don't just run out in the hall and oh man, I don't know what I'm gonna do <laughs> yeah. you, you you plan the 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 reality that hey I, I I need to share this with you. look, I don't know what to do either yeah. that also invites them to to step in and help because they may have ideas they've not shared they may have have thoughts that that they've not shared and it allows them to be transparent allows them to de-escalate as they share so absolutely you're transparent in that but you do that in a in a very strategic
0: way yeah uh, at the risk of putting words in your mouth see if this is what you're saying i think you're describing that you're intentionally like stewarding vulnerability and anxiety for the for the sake of the group rather than coming up that's a great way to say yeah yeah that's really helpful yeah um in your leadership experience can you think of a time where one person's anxiety has infected the group and you've seen it happen
1: one person affected the whole group um, yeah I think there's been a, a few times something uh, something like that uh, has happened um, we have uh, in trying to think about how to do this without without uh, you know singling, People out or something like that. But I've had a few times where there was um, there was people on the team who were just overly negative. I mean, their first response was negative. The world is falling apart anytime there's any change, and if you if you don't understand that about them, that they're wired that way, or you you give them the the biggest platform, it will. It will quickly turn everything sour, and usually those people know that about themselves, um, or they, uh, if they're any what, self-aware. Um, but to 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 realize those people, and and for those people, here's um, here's one way that I would handle something like that. If I had an overly negative. Person. And this doesn't mean if they're overly negative, they're never can get to a positive place. I don't know that I want them on my team long term, but I'm talking about somebody who their initial reaction to change is ne- is overly negative. Then they'll come around, get on board and go. But their first response is, wow, this is not going to work. Wow, we can't do this. So one of my responses to them is is to onboard them quicker. Uh, and so I may pull them aside tell them hey here's some here's the direction we're going I realize this is this change so I want you to warm up to this idea I'm going to be introducing this to the entire group tomorrow I want you to have a, a little bit of time to acclimate to it uh, and and so um, I've had that I mean, I've had that a dozen dozen people so if you're listening out there and you used to work for me I've had it before it wasn't just you you know
0: <laughs> well and uh, last year you released the book the mythical Leader. And one of the myths that you were debunking was that you lead everybody the same way, but you are describing this more uh, bespoke approach to leadership where you have to take everyone on their own terms in a way. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Because the opposite is true also. There are some people that just embrace change. They're just like, man, I love change. This is awesome. Let's go. Uh, In a group setting, sometimes I'd want to keep it from them until, until the group setting. Because then they in, they energize the room, you know. Hey, change is coming. Yeah, so you want that first reaction in the room, and everybody, of course, everybody of course knows that they're going to do that way, but it it diminishes the ability to say, "But that's stupid. We can't do that. We can't." You know, it diminishes some of that. So,
0: so one of the sources of relation anxiety is what we call a phantom strike. Phantom strike would be one person comes to you as the leader they're representing a mob. The mob is unknown to you, you don't get access to them. So the person says to you something like, me and a bunch of people that I'm not gonna tell you who they are and how to get to them, we all think this. That would be a phantom strike. And it and it hurts more than a straight up attack because there's this unknown mob that has all this firepower. Uh, have you ever had that as a leader, run? Oh, so many times, yeah. And especially as I said,
1: before uh, the the church we came out of, we just came out of was pa- passive aggression was part of a part of the culture, and so that was that was always the case. There was always, uh, in fact, a lot of times they would come and say, "There's a bunch of people now. It's not me. I don't think this. I just want you to I just want you to know." Um, and sometimes they do it as a prayer request. I just want you to be praying because I know there's a bunch of people upset. Um, so yeah, that happened all the time you know, I would always, one, you got to know people operate that way. So you just got to understand human nature that people don't want to stand alone. And so they're, they're bringing even imaginary friends into the equation so that they validate their case. Um, so you got to understand a little bit about human nature in that. And, but for me, I would always ask myself the question, is this one or is it representative? Because if it's representative, then I need to know that, you know, but I, that's some of the questions I have to just kind of evaluate on my own. And and do that usually by asking other people that I know are supporters. Hey, are you hearing this? Are you feeling this way? Or is this is this is there any truth to this and that sort of thing? But I was also not afraid to challenge the people. I would I would say, look, if people have if if there are those people who have an issue, I want to hear from them. I mean, I really want to know who they are. And so I understand you may not feel comfortable doing that, but I'm not going to do much with it until I know who they are. You know, uh, and so. To, to kind of challenge knowing that that was the culture we, we, in, we were in and that's the way people are. Uh, I would kind of challenge that a little bit before I let it live very long.
0: Uh, I want to respect your time. So just two final questions. I, I think one of the best ways to de-escalate anxiety and leadership pressure is just to remember how to be human. You've already mentioned physiology, workout, you mentioned music. What do you do... Just in your own life for fun, what do you do that makes you feel alive and human?
1: Well, uh, and exercise is is one of those. My wife and I spend uh, just spending time with with family is 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 big for me. And it's, we're empty nesters, so it's just my wife and I right now in the city. But we like to do um, frequent travel breaks. You know, we love to travel, and so if and I know. Uh, we're in one of those seasons as we record this where I know every couple of months I need to get away with my wife because I'm in that season where a lot of change, fast change, a lot of anxiety, all that sort of stuff. So I've got to do it for me, but then she needs it too, because, and I always tell, especially younger pastors, this that are changing jobs or moving to a new city or whatever, the emotions of the spouse are the same or more. And we don't always realize it because we are so, and we've got a new job. We've got a new position. We've got new direct, you know, lots of things to come, to do. Sometimes they have nothing. And that's just as uh, it can make you just as anxious. Uh, you have more time for the mind to spend. You know, you have more time for the uh, for to imagine all the things that are wrong. So I have to uh, you know, we left if you can picture this. We left from a, um, a large church where we had lots of community, my wife was very involved in the life of the church, to where now I have lots to do and lots of community she has not. And so if I don't recognize that in, in her, then I'm gonna be less effective, uh, we're gonna be less effective in our relationship. And so uh, frequent getaways is, is very important uh, in that for us in our relationship.
0: Ron, thanks for sharing. You're a leadership coach and consultant. Uh, where can people find you if they want to know more about you or access your services? It's
1: just real easy to find me online, Ron Edmondson. Uh, if you Google the name, you'll find Twitter and Facebook and blog and everything's right there. Uh, I don't hide my identity with anything that I do. So it's just it's just find Ron Edmondson and you'll find whatever you're looking for.
0: If you found the podcast beneficial, you can help us out by subscribing to make sure every episode is delivered straight to you. You can also take 30 seconds and leave us an honest review on iTunes. This episode has been a production of Brendan Reed and Steve Cuss.